Welcome to the Marshall Street Podcast. Pay attention to the clock. Gillen. Got it! Where two washed up SU alumni cut into all things Syracuse sports. And for Syracuse, party time. The upset, home by the Orange. They defeat Clemson 27 24. Now, here are your hosts, Jake and Keith. Where's it from? He's gone! Cody Davis has won it! Cody Davis wins it for Syracuse! It's over! The Orange wins the national championship! Welcome back to episode 32 of the Marshall Street Podcast, where two Washington SU alumni cut into all things Syracuse sports. Before we get started, don't forget to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a five-star review. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at MarshallSCPod44. And like, share, retweet, and tell your friends about us to help the podcast grow. It's been a while, but we're back. Had a lot of stuff to do with the holidays, a lot of traveling, a lot of work stuff. Hard to find some schedule, and we got a lot of things to talk about. A lot of basketball, a bunch of football. Should be fun. I'm Jake. That's Keith. Keith, how you doing? Doing good. It's been a while, but lots to chop it up about. Lots happened in the Syracuse world, so we'll see. All right, so the last podcast, the last basketball game we talked about was the Villanova game of the Garden. So I'm going to quickly just hammer through some scores, maybe a couple of interesting tidbits from the, the six or seven games that we missed, and then we're kind of just going to talk about everything as a whole because there are some things that we need to discuss. So first... In, in D.C., Syracuse fell 79-75 to Georgetown. Um, Buddy led the way with 17 in that one. There were some quotes about practice after the game, and then that practice didn't happen because the games versus Lehigh, Cornell, and Georgia Tech were all postponed. The Lehigh game was eventually canceled uh, with COVID issues in the Orange program. Uh, Beheims afterwards said 14 guys had it. Be- Buddy had it again. Uh, Lehigh will not be made up. The Brown game plugged in for that. Georgia Tech will be... That Jackets game has been rescheduled to uh, February 21st. It's a Monday night. Uh, then, coming back, Hammond Brown, 93-62. Buddy Bayham had 28 points in the return. Beat Cornell, 80-68. was kind of ugly, but Syracuse won the game. All that mattered. Ace then jumping into ACC play, Virginia. And it was a winnable game. They couldn't get stops against the, Ho- the Hokies. Jeez, that's Virginia Tech. The Cavaliers, 74-69. Virginia wins in the Dome. Then heading to Miami, Syracuse led by as many as 18 in the first half. We're up by 14 at the break. And then by the 14th minute mark, uh, 1451 mark in the second half, Miami had the lead. Syracuse had 58 points in the second half in Florida and fell 88-87, despite career days from Joe Girard, Jesse Edwards, and Cole Swider. Then heading to Winston-Salem. Uh, fell in overtime, 77-74. Some uh, ish- officiating questions, I would say, in that game. Uh, but then again, we seem to get the ball in bounds at the end, and we probably win that game. Uh, headed home for a win against Pittsburgh, 77-61. Pitt's not a good basketball team. We should beat them, 77-61. And then, finally, Florida State rematch at home. Team we beat on the road. We f- Syracuse Falls with a final score of 76 to 71. So Cuse has lost four of their last five, sit at eight and nine on the season, two and four in conference play. And at this point, we were talking a little bit off air. I, we kind of think that the NCAA tournament is basically off the table at this point. Uh, there are There's probably away for Syracuse to do it still with the schedule they have left, but just watching what we've watched and knowing what we know, don't think it's going to happen. Keith, let's just get some initial thoughts on this stretch. Uh, frustrating for me, anger-inducing, wall-punching-inducing um, thoughts. Yeah, and I, I don't know if there's an ever been a time, maybe there's some, some of our more longer-tenured SU fans can think of something, where you're 17 games in a season, and it's basically a wash. Like, especially at, at this point in the year, so early, and I know it's COVID cancellations wiped out some of the 
more winnable games and all that, but it just seems like between the the recent stretch and how down the ACC is, maybe only getting a few teams in, it's just it's tough to think about. And one thing we mentioned off air is like a couple of the games got away from us. Mainly the two best teams we played, which were Auburn, who's number two in the country right now, and and Villanova. Other than that, every loss has really been a close game. And it's just like an inability to finish in the second half. Some reporters, I know, uh, I think Stephen Bailey brought it up, how how lopsided it's been in the second half this year, Mm -hmm. just the scoring differential. And so it's, it's so frustrating to just see pieces with a lot of promise not being able to, to kind of mesh together and, and falter down the stretch a little bit. So just a bummer, just a bummer of a stretch overall. Yeah, you mentioned the all the games for the most part have been winnable. Like the Villanova game, I think we lost by 14. That was closer, that was close for basically, I think it was 30-ish minutes and then Villanova kind of pulled away. So that might be a little bit misleading. Auburn hammered us. That was the worst loss. And then <laughs> going back to Colgate, the 15-point loss in the second half, we kind of never made it really close. They just hit everything. Um, but, yeah, frustrating. Every game has been winnable for the most part. It, it's kind of similar to football in that big, when we went through that, like, three- or four-game losing streak, the first one, where we had, were in those games, we could have won them, the three three-point losses. Like, the Miami game, no way we should be getting up 58 points in the second half to lose. Virginia, after Jimmy Beheim's dunk, couldn't get a stop down the stretch in a winnable game. And I know there's been the inconsistencies with the offense, but overall, there's not a ton I would complain about offensively. Yeah, we're streaky, and when we're cold, we're cold. But I think I think Ken Palm has us ranked the 19th most efficient offense in the country. Just, the defense has just been so bad, like, the entire year. And it hasn't. maybe it's gotten a little bit better, but... Just some interest, so that I mentioned that we were 19th in Ken Palm on offense for efficiency. Defense, we are 225th uh, with a defensive efficiency of 105.6. So basically, that means for 100 possessions, we're giving up 105 points. So that's over a point per possession. We're sandwiched in between Cal State, Northridge, and Florida A&M. It's by far the worst in the Power Six. That's including the Big East. Uh, the next closest is, is NC State who's 203rd, and we play them in a couple weeks, might be 120, it might look like an NBA game, 120, like 122. Um, it's just frustrating. Like it, it hasn't gotten better, and then now with some stuff that's happened after, especially after the Florida State game with just straight up not using the bench and the comments made today by Jim Beheim in his uh, ACC conference, it's just, it's frustrating, and nobody's happy, and I feel like, I also feel like the fan base has kind of become a little divided over, like, oh, it's... No. I do a little... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Our fan base divided? Shocker. Um, I feel I feel like it's gotten worse just based on, like, people being frustrated and people trying to look on the bright side, which, again, if you want to look on the bright side, I have no problem with that. And people on the timeline do tend to do that, and I like that. It kind of just breathes a breath of fresh air. But I do get I the frustrations. Are, I do do it. I do. I get it. If you look at the the current situation in a nutshell, I think the attendance numbers are a good Ooh. indication of like how how bad it is as a Syracuse fan and just just the general situation of like you have COVID going around that has deterred people. You have COVID protocols that have deterred some people. Whether or not you agree with those is up to you guys, but you have that, you have the weather going on, and you have the the biggest factor, which is the performance of the team. So it's just like, man, when when we were students at SU, I said this to you too, like pretty much all of our years in college, we were on the bubble or, or not far off it in either direction, and it, you would still pack in 25K most ACC games easily or, or more. And, it's, and you're just not seeing that right now. Yeah, and look, like again, the COVID stuff, I get it. People aren't comfortable going to a game that's indoors. That's totally fine if that's how you feel. Um, and I know the students aren't there, and it was minus 10 during, or whatever the hell it was. It was freezing on Saturday. But um, at Jay Foley Hoops on Twitter sent me the picture. He tweeted it. It's on him. I think I quote tweeted it if you want to go look at it. And this was 
I believe, like, right before tip-off, there's nobody. He's sitting opposite where the student section is. Nobody there. The upper deck's empty. It's, it's I, yeah, it's, just, it's the culmination of everything going on with the world and how the team is. And say what you want about what causes play into it more than in others. I tend to think it's it's more the where the program's at, but everyone I'm sure has their own theories, and I'm sure it's some combination of both. I it's a combination. Definitely. I just think what we've seen on the court and around the program, for whatever reason you want to attribute that to, it's something we really haven't seen in as long as I can remember, and it's it's uh not fun to talk about or dive into, but it's. It's the current reality, I think, which which stinks, but it's the case. It was it was quiet. It's been quiet in the dome the last few games. Like I, mean, I think during the Florida State, I think it was Cuse Militia tweeted when Florida State in the second half kind of was starting to pull ahead a little bit. They tweeted that their bench was louder than the entire crowd, and they were right. Like it's just, and I'm not judging the fan base. It's just, it's just true. Like it's yeah. it's depressing. So I'm I'm curious to hear is we've had a lot of conversations on air, off air, Twitter, you name it. But if you were to narrow down one singular issue that is the biggest issue, either in the current team or the program as a whole, what would you say that is? The biggest issue? Um, I, I, I clearly think it's just, it's, it's a mix of the lack of overall talent. And I think we just can't play the defense the co- our coach wants us to play. Like people, so, it's so a personnel, you think overall? Mostly, yeah. Like I just think I know people are clamoring for the bench to play, and I'm all for getting Benny Williams has to play, and we'll we can maybe talk about this too. But him not playing at all against Florida State, I think, is ridiculous. But we're the I think the lowest ESPN flashed a graphic. We were the lowest point total for bench points in the country, which is six point six per game. That's three hundred fifty eight dead last. And in total bench minutes, Mike Waters tweeted today, we're 356th, only ahead of St. Bonaventure in Minnesota. And people say, we got to use the bench, we got to use the bench. One of the guys are tired at the end of the game. I'm like, okay, who else is going to play other than Benny Williams? Frank Anselm, sure. But do you want him taking away significant minutes away from Jesse Edwards? I'm fine with him coming in 10, 12 minutes a night, give him a, give him a break. But other than that, is John Bull going to play? Is Chess Holland's going to play? Who's going to play? That's I, yeah. I think overall, there's just not a ton of talent. And I think that's part of the problem. Now, the recruiting class next year will help that. It's still a top 15 yeah. recruiting class, even if it's strength in numbers. That's, it's going to help. But I think overall, it's a lack. It's just, it's just a lack. It just is what it is. It's just a lack of talent. And I'm not saying the guys all suck. And I'm not one of those guys who's saying, oh, yeah, George Rodriguez playing at Siena. That's not what I'm saying. It's just overall, it's just clearly, and it's showing, we're just not good enough. And I think we're on the same page, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't, I I put it this way to you a few times, like, I don't think any of the guys in the rotation, you can look at and be like, oh, they, they were, would never be talented enough to play at Syracuse a few years ago, because that's not the case. But I think there's, the strengths don't necessarily, the roles would be different. Like they could, the roles would be a lot different. Yeah. I think it's Sorry, I put it this way, like, if you have one of the guys that, that you look at is defense not their strength, like a Jimmy or a, a Cole, if you put them in the 2-3 alongside Bad Mello, C.J. Fair, Sutherland, any of these guys who are the, the quote-unquote Syracuse zone athletes, I think they play a great role on the team because they can do what they do, which is shoot, space the floor on offense, open up the lane for, for some of the inside scoring. But I just think when you combine all these guys together who are or shooters or floor spacers, when you put five of those type of players on, on defense, I think the exception of Jesse, who's played pretty well on defense, that's mm-hmm. when you run into the issue. Is like There's no one player that's like an example of Syracuse basketball falling off. It's just the collection of yep. strengths within the team doesn't necessarily bode well. That's, that's my take on it. No, and I, I think that's fair. I just, it's just, you're right. Like, if this is, like, going back to the 2013 Final Four team, if somebody like Cole Swider is coming off the bench and doing what he does, and he, if he's actually making shots, he's kind of struggling. He's come on a little bit lately, 
in the last few games, but overall it's kind of been a disappointing year. If he's coming off the bench, or if Jimmy's coming off the bench to play a little bit as the four, and again, create some open shots, like, but you're asking them to be, these guys to be a collective starting five that's going to basically play 40 minutes a night in, albeit a down ACC, but a power five conference. And other than Buddy, I don't think any of them are really built for that. Maybe Joe a little bit. I know it's going to be kind of con- that's going to be controversial for some people, but it's it's just not. They're not. It, it it's not. These guys aren't built for what they're asking to do. Oh, and Jesse Edwards. He's he. Jesse Edwards and Buddy are basically. They're doing what they can, but uh, it's just, and it's frustrating. And I get why people are pissed at Jim Beheim because we put the roster together. <laughs> like, <laughs> whose fault? Like, yeah, and you, if, you could. Throw, throw some blame on the portal. I know a lot of college coaches like to do that, and he's like, oh, who knows will be ne- here next year. But it, to your point, I, I think next year's recruiting class will help, considering yes. a lot of them are in the, the Syracuse mold. Um, but it, it still remains to be seen. Like they're, I'll put it this way. I'm, I'll take a top 15 class every year, 10 times mm-hmm. out of 10. But there was also, when you talk about uh, – a Dior commitment or a Camario Lands or some of these guys that are mentioned as, as top 10 players in the class. We don't necessarily have that anymore. Chris Bunch being our highest at 71 and uh, guys who I, I'm, I'm all very excited about all five of them, but it, it does make you wonder if that recruiting class has the potential to come in and, and immediately change the course of this program, which that, that I'm a little more skeptical about, especially if they all develop into good players, especially if, people start to come back like spider's got eligibility jimmy Beheim's going to petition for an extra year i'm pretty sure jesse's got an extra year which is i'm very okay with because jesse's been awesome all year i it's joe's going to be back samir will be back like i think the whole team right besides jimmy unless he wins the appeal if it has, could, has eligibility yes it, it the whole team other than jimmy Beheim has it which honestly let's take a minute i think all the ivy league guys who didn't play last year should get the extra year um now, am I, would I be thrilled that Jimmy Beheim gets the extra year and he's starting again over some of these recruits? No. If he was, again, being that role player, coming off the bench, chipping in 15 minutes a night, cool. That's fine. But if we're rolling back the same, basically the same starting five minus Buddy Beheim next year, I'm not going to be overtly optimistic, especially if those recruits are all sitting on the bench. Yeah. Yeah, and I think there's optimism for a guy like Benny to make a huge jump, but for a Cole Swider or a, a Jimmy Beheim or they are what they are. Yeah. You kind of know what you have. At they, are what they, are. And they they definitely bring value to the team. It's just, they're very, they're see, good when shooters. You see the way they mesh this year and mm-hmm. saying, let's, let's run it back next year. I, I would tend to agree with you. It's like individually, I like all those players, but when you, when you bring that talent mm-hmm. together, it hasn't, hasn't worked out, so it's not not like a done deal that everyone would kind of make a jump next year and drastically improve no. things. Especially since they've been in college now for three or four years. Like at this yeah. point they are what they are. And there are decent shooters when they're on, but they've proven to be streaky and their liabilities on defense, especially when Jimmy's playing the five, which I just don't again, it's like Marek last year playing the five and Marek was a better player. I, I don't He's not built to play that position. And at Marek last year was kind of out of need. I mean, if Jesse's in foul trouble, why is Frank Anselm not playing at center? Like, why is you done? Uh, yeah, I'm 100% over? with you on that. That doesn't make any sense to me. Look at all the backup centers we had when the zone has been successful. And, Even John uh, Bull, put a actual center at the five. Yeah. Don't move over to me behind when he can't play center. Just think of the, even from a rim protection standpoint, like, forget the offense for a second. Pascal Chukwu or... Uh, Coleman was at least big body that could, mm-hmm. could take up some space down there. In the last couple of years, between Marek and Jimmy, just guys who are who are being asked to do something that doesn't complement their strengths is tough year in and year out. I, I, I'm with you. I would 100% rather see Frank at the five. Yeah, and then we had um, Jim Beheim on his ACC weekly ACC call this week, and um, the quote people are running with is, We've been limited to our starter. They asked him about, like, why we're not using the bench, why we're just the starter. We've been, limited, we've been limited to our starters because they've been getting the job done, and the guys on the bench haven't played well, played very well. And then that was from Syracuse.com. And then James Zuba 
at the second half of the quote, and somebody asked about Benny Williams, and he said, there's nothing to ask about Benny. He's struggled in every game he's played and in every practice. Okay, number one, why you can you can answer that question better about why is Benny's playing. Like I think you said before we went on, it's like Benny's gonna develop into a really good player. He's had some struggles, but we're working on this, this, and this, and we'll see where it goes. Instead of just saying basically he's struggled and that's why he's not playing. And as for Especially start- knowing it's a it's a five it's your highest recruit in a long time. And he was out there after the Florida State game. Yeah, no which it, it has publicly defended the program, said he's not transferring. So to me, I don't. There's no reason for that. It's an. I feel like it's an unnecessary shot. Shot. It's un- exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so I don't know. I I think that's more of a media get off my back take than it is like a Benny Williams is going to be very good take. I think I think it's more directed at the media, but still kind of comes across as a a stray to Benny. <laughs> That's fair. And then as for the the starters are getting the job done, um, aren't we eight and nine? <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I don't know. It's just, oh, it's just so frustrating. And I feel the like same, it's not... the same guys. He said the defense was a, a disaster. What was the quote he used a couple weeks ago? Was a, oh, give me a second so I can something. find it. It's a long quote. I think Brent actually did it. Hang on. All right, I got it. This is a long quote, so bear with me. This is after the Virginia game. Our defense lost us the game the other day. We played horrible defense. I just put together some clips. I usually show them five or six really bad defensive clips. We have 14 without trying of guys not playing their position, not in their position where they should be. And when you score 69 points against Virginia, then you should be able to win that game. They give up 50. Our defense was a disgrace, and that's me. I'm the coach. I'm responsible for that. Every guy, literally seven guys, made really bad defensive mistakes. A couple guys made multiple defensive mistakes, and you can't win games that way. We've already demonstrated that. Our offense is more than good enough, which I think is fair when they're on. Our defense has been horrendous. It really is 100% responsible for our record, which, again, I also agree with that. We've done, at most, everything I know to fix it. We're going to keep trying to fix it, but at the end of the day, we need to play better on our defensive end. Um, And then he was asked, are the defensive issues more about lack of effort or positioning? And then Beheim said, bad position, just really bad position more than anything else. Our effort's been good, I think, on both ends of the court. We're going after the ball, picked up our rebounding a little bit, being more aggressive, going after things. But there's no excuse, really, at any stage of the season to make some of the defensive mistakes that we're making. So that was the long-winded quote that Brent Axe tweeted at. If anyone has ever seen the videos on YouTube of Joe Rogan arguing with himself, like, <laughs> or, or like Skip Bayless, I think people have done it with we went to Bayheim a couple weeks ago with that quote about how poor the performance has been and, and the team's defense mixed with today's quote that the starters are getting the job done. <laughs> we did, we did Bayheim argue with Bayheim. Which I agree yeah. with. I agree with the first quote. I don't agree with what he said today. He's yeah. right. The defense is responsible for the record. And it might have gotten a little bit better because we've been in these games, but they haven't been able to make clutch plays at the end. And, it's what it's just it's frustrating and it is what it is and I I don't I remember he he called out Jesse Edwards for not being in position a th- I don't remember after what game but he said that's why they started hit corner threes I'm like why is that Jesse Edwards why is that Jesse Edwards responsibility when he's in the middle of the zone and the two guys in the corners are basically up at the wing and there's guys open how is Jesse Edwards supposed to go from his spot haul ass out to the corner and block a shot when that's not when that shouldn't be his responsibility. I don't know that that yeah, I feel like I've noticed that a lot more the last two years, and I just don't get how that's how the zone's supposed to be. I'm I'm not the head coach. If that's what he wants, all right. But I, I don't I don't understand that. I really don't. I've never got that. Yeah, and, and he said before that fans can't really assign blame to anybody because they don't know the game plan and the ch- the zone changes every week. But just to put it simply, I guess if if there's anyone responsible for defensive struggles, I don't think it's Jesse. So I'll just, I'll just kind of leave it at No. Dude, honestly, Jesse might be the team's MVP this year. I don't yeah. think that's a hot take. I think, I think that's... The current state, if, if he didn't make... He's, he's got a good case for ACC most, most improved player. He's, if he's he didn't the, make that leap, this team is struggling even more. Yeah. No, you're right. He's, he's the guy who's a perfect example of a limited his first year and then development, like the growth over his collegiate career. That's he's the perfect, perfect example. But you also can't do that with everybody. And I, I don't think Benny Williams is kind of the guy who that you need to do that with. But 
I don't know. But yes, Jesse's been awesome all season, and I, it's been very cool to see him take the leap that he's taken. And I think some of it has to do with City B getting hurt, which, again, sucks because that dude straight up can't catch a break. Um, yeah. But he's taking advantage, and there's nothing more you can really ask for. Other than maybe not fouling somebody on a breakaway against Wake Forest to foul out with, like, nine that minutes is, left. That is my one critique of Jesse, is that sometimes the fouls he takes aren't the smartest. Right. Especially knowing, like, you gotta know your value to that to that team inside that, you know, maybe not pack somebody to get your third to prevent a, a layup, or just, just in general, he hasn't been as smart your as presence, like your presence, Your presence is worth more than two points sometimes. Yeah, exactly. So. Um, well, that Wake Forest game. What did you think of the officiating? Because like it wasn't, it wasn't good. It bad. was bad. bad. It was bad all around. And bad. I mean, if you want to argue that Buddy got fouled at the end of the game when uh, we turned it over and Wake tied it, okay. But we could also just get the fucking ball and bounce. <laughs> like it should not be that hard. <laughs> right. And that's what Beheim said after. He's like, we got to get the ball and bounce. The refs were terrible. Like no, just they were bad. Up, just straight. That up. was. A, that was legitimately the worst. That was worse than the Indiana game, and the Indiana game was bad. That was straight up, a tr- that was awful. That was a horrendously officiated game. It's uh, it's one of the worst I've seen since, uh, I think the one that still takes the cake for most Syracuse fans is probably that Ohio State game in the NCAA tournament. Oh, that Elite Eight game. 12. 12, maybe, yeah. With yeah. That was just horrible. I mean, oh. just the ticky-tack fouls of that game were unreal. You mentioned um, you mentioned Ohio, uh, Ohio State. This is just a, this is a total aside. So I was listening to Titus and Tate yesterday, and you know Mark Titus was a walk on at Ohio State. Obviously, that's where he got his his blog. That's how he got to start. And he was talking about the 2010 team that lost to Tennessee in the Sweet 16. I think they were a two seed. And he was like, "Yeah, Ohio State. That was the year we should have won the national championship." Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, "Um, no, that was the year we oh. should have won the national championship." Mark, get out of yeah, here. No shot. <laughs> I forget how the most talented team all season. Until yeah, they were, they were talking about how like Duke kind of came out of nowhere, and it was like not an overwhelmingly good Duke team because I forget they were they were talking about Shire and Coach K, and they like somehow... Brian Zubek was the center. Yeah, I think. Like, they didn't. Yeah, they didn't have a true point guard, and like they kind of forced Paulus out because, and then he came here to play football. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it was, that was yeah. just a funny aside I thought I'd bring up, but. And yeah, I'm, I'm trying to pull up here that that box score from that Ohio State game because I'm pretty sure every Syracuse it was bad was in foul trouble. And we were, like, it was bad deep that year. It's yeah, so four cr- calls for Christmas, four for fair. Uh, Christmas only played 16 minutes. Jeez. Three for scoop. James Sutherland fouled out. Bikeita had four, and Dion Waiters fouled out. How many fouls did Ohio State have total? So Syracuse had 28 fouls. And let me see the Ohio State. Ohio State had 20. So they called 48 fouls in a 40-minute game. That's awful. I hate officials like that. Final four, 40 oh, fouls it's like that it's like the championship game a couple of years ago when Gonzaga played Carolina and the officials took over in the second half and there was a foul every 30 seconds. Ugh. And uh, to, to kind of put a bow in that game, too, Ohio State shot. 30% from the three-point line and 41% overall. Syracuse shot 37% from the three-point line and 41% from the field. So, just an ugly game all around. A lot of good players on that team, though. And, but, yeah. I would I would take that game in the Elite Eight right now because we were a one seed. <laughs> of course. Of course. 34-3 that year. Um, yeah, I think we kind of hit a lot. We did it quicker than I thought we would, basketball-wise. Do you have anything else that you want to hit on, hoops-wise? I'm trying to scroll through our notes and see if there's anything specific from games. But I think we covered everything. No, just just overall how weird it is to be a Syracuse basketball fan and feel like just like out of the loop. Or college basketball. Like I still follow it and everything, but just to not even hear your name come up in discussions, whether it's even even the bubble or anything yeah. like that, just kind of being an afterthought is so sad. So I don't know all these other programs who haven't had the success that he has. Like props to you for still being a diehard because <laughs> man, it, it's just so tough to just hear all the college basketball talk and not hear Syracuse in any capacity. 
Yeah, absolutely. I agree. And I get the frustration. And we'll see where, where it goes the rest of the season. Uh, next few games include Clemson tomorrow night at 9 at home, going to Duke on the 22nd, going to Pitt on the 25th, and Wake coming back to the Dome for uh, on, the, on January 29th before the stretch run. 14 games left. Basically, just we just the battle is just to stay above 500 at this point for me. <laughs> Okay, so now let's jump to some miscellaneous Syracuse news. A lot of football stuff to talk about, but first let's jump on the women's basketball. Let's give a little update there. Team sitting at 8-8. Eight and eight, uh, Lost their last couple games to ranked teams. Uh, 74-65 to number 17 Duke. And 84-71 to number 2 Louisville. So the team, that team, the women's team is also sitting at 501-5 in the ACC. Um, now... National Signing Day, the early period, was a month ago. It was on the 15th, but we've been all over the place, so let's talk a little bit about that. The all-10 verbal commits prior to that they signed. The headline was the Quinn Allen, the running back from New Jersey, Gatorade Player of the Year in the state. And from stuff I've been reading about him, he's got the speed to match Sean Tucker. Not the same size or build as Tucker, maybe not the same physical runner, but he's the, he's a speed guy. Uh, we had a Australian punter commit, which is a little bit of a surprise. Uh, Max Vaughn Marburg, so special teams, he was back. Uh, Dennis Jacquez, he's an Ed Rusher. Didn't have a verbal that day, but he did commit. Uh, was a Northwestern commit previously. Had offers from BC, Maryland, Rutgers, and NAM. Uh, he's, again, a guy who could play right away because of the guys we've lost in the line. Kareem Bailey was another one, a linebacker who picked Syracuse over Kansas State. And then we also brought in a transfer DB named Braylon Oliver. From He was originally from Louisville, but flipped from Oregon State to Syracuse. I don't know who could play right away. And then let's jump a little bit ahead because we do have another commit to talk about for football, which was yesterday. Francois Nolan, a four-star DN, committed on his official visit. Uh, four-star according to ESPN had offers from Alabama, Arizona State, Auburn, Florida State, Penn State. He was a former Florida commit, and he committed when it was like minus 10 degrees outside, and that's awesome because the cold won't bother him. Again, defensive end could play right away with Josh Black, Cody Roscoe, McKinley Williams gone. Keegan Jonathan and Chris Harper are also gone. He's not officially signed. He has the verbal commit. So when signing day rolls around in, I think it's it's pretty soon, on February 2nd, if he'll have to get pen to paper. We'll be good there. Just got to get him on campus. And then some other football news. Tommy DeVito officially transferred to Illinois. We'll get into a quote with that later when we discuss some stuff. Sean Tucker wasn't a consensus All-American, but he, the Sporting News left him off, which... That's a whole conversation. But he made every other basically All-American team. He was in, mentioned in David Hale's article about guys who were in the mix for the Heisman for next year. Andre Schmidt will return for next year for Syracuse football. He was originally going to go, but he changed his mind. Mikhail Jones will return. Garrett Williams will return. And we have new coordinators. Uh, Pete Thamel reported it, and it was confirmed. Robert Anay uh, will come to be the assist offensive coordinator. And Jason Beck will come to coach quarterbacks, both of them from Virginia. That was a lot of football information. Keith, thoughts? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think overall, I'm most excited about the, the coaching additions. I think they did a really good job um, this offseason between uh, Ligaszewski, I think is how you say it, the, the special teams coach that's got a lot of NFL roots, mm -hmm. along with, with uh, Anai at OC and Beck at QB coach. I think Beck seemed to be like UVA fans were really upset that he left because everyone loved him, and he's proven to develop a lot of really good quarterbacks at UVA. And then Anai is, they seem to be more like he's a really good coach that sometimes makes weird play calls. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that seemed to be the consensus I got from the UVA fans. Based on nothing that I've seen, I, I haven't had the chance to like study UVA's offense, but I think based on the circumstances and being in a tough spot to sell like a coaching staff that's probably on the hot seat going into probably. this year, like Definitely. What, kind, what kind of coaches do you get to sign up to be part of that? And they, they crushed it. I mean, based on everything I've seen. So I'm, I'm excited about that. And then you talk about the, the recruiting class as a whole. I don't, um, I don't think anything jumps off the page until the new commit uh, for Nolan this, this past uh, weekend. So th that's the one that I'm really excited about. But other than that, it's just like, all right, we got 
we pretty much know where we're at this this uh, season going into it. A, mm-hmm. a few more things to shake out, but like, all right, let's see. Like, pressure's on this year, and see what we can do. Yeah, it's exciting. Uh, Anais have and Beck have both worked with mobile quarterbacks, which is good for Schrader and also good for I left off the Michigan transfer Dan Valari, who's from New York who's transferring into Syracuse, who also said that he wants to be a guy who, like, hurdles and runs through people. So kind of like a certain quarterback who wore number two. Not saying he's him, but... So we're, it's it's good that they've worked with the mobile quarterbacks. Hopefully they'll be able to maybe spice up the offense a little bit more to where it's more than just trying to get Garrett to throw 40 times a game. Um, but I am excited. I think the four-star Nolan committing made me feel a little bit better about the recruiting class. I like the the signings for the coordinator hires. So not a bad off season so far to start for football. Um, the recruiting class, I believe jumped up to 12th in the ACC. So they're now ahead of wake at least. And I believe Virginia who's last. So it's not great, but it's a start. And for a uh, staff that's coaching for their jobs, I think they've noticed that. I think the sense of urgency is there. So, yeah, you didn't see them going directly to the Syracuse tree for like you didn't see them grabbing coaches from Sean Lewis's staff at Kent State or um, you know Bowling Green from Dino. You saw them use their connections, but go outside of the the program in a sense. So I, I like seeing that too. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then a couple other little things. Um, Dino, after signing day, said they're halfway done with this cycle. going to be even for late period. Uh, portal versus high school, it's a fluid situation. And then he said they're pitting the, the portal hard, which they seemingly have been. So there's going to be more things to come before signing day. Again, that's February 2nd, so a few more weeks. We'll see what happens. Um, and then Sean Tucker, also a track star now. So he picked up yeah. some... I don't know, it was so random when I saw that, that he's now running with the Syracuse track team. He finished 13 out of 26 in his first event, which is a 60-meter dash, at the Virginia Tech Invitational. So it was 13 out of 26, so he was literally the middle, and you need to finish in the top seven to advance. Not a bad first race, I would think. I don't know what's about track. Maybe it wasn't, but... <laughs> well, the picture, he looked... Woo! He looked like an athlete. Yeah, <laughs> huge. Man. He looks massive. Um, Crazy. So best of luck, and to Tucker. also let me let me just put it out there: uh, Syracuse record-breaking running back playing multiple sports. <laughs> There's yeah, but we we we, gotta, we have to, we have to have a conversation about that. We got to discuss it with the panel. <laughs> <laughs> um, we, should, we should have that as a bit now. Like any any time we have to uh, give our takes about sports, be like, nah, we got to talk. About <laughs> We have to discuss with the 44 committee. <laughs> um, do you have anything else football-wise? Did I miss anything random news-wise? I don't think so. Um, what are your overall thoughts on the transfers out? Like DeVito being the headliner going to Illinois, and then um, a couple guys, I think three guys, going to uh, FAU that announced this week altogether, which was interesting. I think it's just a sign of the times. I re- it's just I think yeah. that's the way it's going to be for the foreseeable future, and I don't necessarily hate it. It, it just it is what it is, and you got to adjust. I th- I'm not going to be mad at kids for wanting to leave. So is what it is. I do. Yeah, wish, I heard with you on that. I hope Tommy is well in Illinois. So same here. I think Tommy found a good spot where it's it's what we talked about. Like Tommy has the talent. I think to be a power five starter it's just if you have one single year left you have to go to a place where you're pretty convinced that you're going to be the guy and it seems like that's the case at, at illinois yeah. the one thing i would say on the transfers out is that i agree with you it's the sign of the times but for a program like syracuse especially what would hit them hard i think is if year after year you're seeing a bunch of guys transfer out and only a couple transfer in so i think the, the guys leaving outnumbered the guys coming in as it stands which is which is sustainable for a couple years but you just want to break that cycle at some point so that's all i got for football 
Very valid. Um, then the last note I had, Syracuse is going to play in the 2022 Empire Classic, I think at the Garden, next November. That's typically where it's held. It wasn't the last couple of years because of all this COVID stuff. Um, with St. John's, Temple, and a TBD fourth team, John Rothstein had the initial report. So that'll be fun. It's always fun to go to the Garden. And I think that's it, Syracuse-wise. Do you have anything else before we go to the farewell tour? No, as the, as the resident... Madison Square Garden guy on this podcast, Jake. Is it just me, mm-hmm. or have we struggled at MSG lately? I think we've just struggled in the city of New York lately. <laughs> in general. <laughs> the Barclays, Barclays, the Garden, football at Yankee Stadium. Like. <laughs> St. Yeah. John's. Don't schedule any games with, like, Fordham. <laughs> That's in New Jersey. But, yeah, just, just stay out Fordham's in the Bronx. <laughs> Is it? I didn't see yeah. that. I mean, no, I'm not a big... <laughs> NYC small school college guy. I'm trying to. What's the uh, what's the one that Spike Lee goes to? Is that LIU Brooklyn that he comes to the games? Oh, I have no idea. I know he goes to Knicks games, but I didn't know he goes to LIU yeah, games. Yeah, I think it's LIU Brooklyn. Also, uh, the TBT tournament. Just stay out of the New York City region. Just any. <laughs> <laughs> just a big X. Just no. <laughs> if we're if we're scheduling for, if uh, Dylan Gross comes back in any capacity and wants to schedule a, a third game game at home at MetLife, like bad idea. Let's let's just stay out of it. Well, I'm not sure to think. When was the last time we won a game in New York City? I can't. Oh, it, it, I think we beat UConn at the Garden in like six o t game. <laughs> not, that, not that far. I think we beat them in 2017. We beat UConn. And I think we've lost like four or five in a row in New York City. Basketball, at least. Because we lost two yeah. at the Barclays. We lost two at the Garden. Plus another one. Five? I think we've lost five in a row in New York City. Basketball? If that sounds like... Houston the City, right? And that was the year where we played Oregon and UConn. And then we had a football. I think we had a football and a mess. And they're in. Yeah. And uh, those shirts. And, and we lost. Basketball, I should say. And we, we lost, lost all of them. All of them. And I see. I still see those shirts pop up on Fanatics. Like, oh, sale, seventeen cents. I'm like, no, <laughs> no, <laughs> it's <thanks>. cursed. Yeah. <laughs> Just like the scriptures. <laughs> one of my favorite, uh, like, odd conversations is when we get into like the the random Syracuse T-shirts that are out in the world. Love my random Syracuse T-shirts. Um, those are the best. There are just so many good ones. I picked up a. Uh, a couple years ago at the state fair, like a Johnny Flynn shirt, world shirt. It's just like it's just like Johnny Flynn and big, like almost the ones you see at at like booths where they airbrush it. Like it's almost mm-hmm. like that. Just a, just the most random Johnny Flynn shirt. <laughs> we talked about the Greg Paulus, like the devil wears orange. There's just so many weird ones out there. If if if, if there's not a shirt, did it really happen in Syracuse? Because there's always there's always a shirt. It's awesome. I love that. And I have most of them. <laughs> the one I love the most is Homecoming in 26, uh, 2016 against USF. USF. Yes, I have that one still. I love that shirt. Just It's so dumb. And then we got hammered in that game. I think we, I think we gave them 60 points or something stupid. It's just such it a funny... The they were giving out at Shine, right? It was like free. I think, yeah, and it was like a picture of Otto with the bull on a fork, and it said "raise the stake." It was like, like it was like, that. it was a. I think he had either the steak, like he took a chunk out of its ass and grilled it or something. <laughs> it was, it was, it's such a dumb shirt, but I love it. Um, I think that, that was like right after we had lost. Like Lamar, Lamar Jackson came in and put up eight hundred yards. Oh, 45-20 was the final score. We didn't give, we didn't give up sixty. It was so that's good, Ellie. Man. That was still Schaefer, right? No, that was Dino's first year. Oh, it was 16. That was 50. Okay, gotcha. Ended that year on a five-game, four-game losing streak. So that's fun. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> Including the 76-61 shootout against Pitt. With <laughs> that was maybe the dumbest year of football. Dude, Adler, what a- in 2015, playing LSU at the Dome, and so many LSU fans are there. Mahoney's in there. Meanwhile, on the other side, it's it's like Fournette, Jamal Adams. I just looking at their skill position guys. I'm sure it was stacked. Like Clyde Edwards-Helaire was. I don't know if he was there yet, but like just completely stacked on offense. And somehow Syracuse 
only lost by 10 and like made it a game the whole game, even though yeah, Fournette was, was ripping off like 15 yards of carry. It was 34-24. I'm looking at the box right now. Um, Darius Geis was on that team. Um, Leonard Fournette had a catch. Malachi Dupree played in the NFL. He was their leading wide receiver. I'm sure like defense, because that's what Florida State's... Not uh, Florida State, good God. <laughs> what, what, um, ESPN doesn't have the team stats, so it looks like defense stats. White, I'm sure. Yeah, there were, there were some good guys on... I'd have to go probably find the... Yeah, their one-two punch for running backs is Leonard Fournette and Darius Geis. <laughs> Jesus. I have to probably go back and look on the Syracuse website to try and find the box score, because ESPN doesn't have defensive stats, but... That was, it's, Jamal Adams, I'm almost positive, was there. Picked yeah, I up, know Jamal was there. That was still Les Miles. Uh, yeah. DJ Chark was a playing receiver. Their defense had, yep, Tredavious White, uh, Gaucho, Gaucho, however you say it, um, the D-tackle. They had Jamal Adams, Deion Jones. Uh, Ron Gaucho. Plays for the Patriots right now. He's yeah. in the NFL. Yeah, that was a, that was a pretty stacked team. I think LSU, and they were ranked number eight, I think, during that game. I don't think they ended up having a great year either. I think they were like eight and four or something like that. Yeah, they they lost three. So they lost at Alabama. Arkansas and Ole Miss. Arkansas and Ole Miss, three in a row. So not ten and three, they won their bowl game. So it's not a terrible year, but not like a national championship, SEC type year. Interesting. That was fun having LSU come up. That was cool. Yeah, true home games against powers like that are, are pretty awesome. Just wish Eric Dungey played because it might have actually. <laughs> yeah, they come up this year though. They're playing at the Dome. As long as they don't move it to New York City, got it. They won't. They won't. Tickets. I know. I think they're already selling. They're already marketing that. The game's going to be at the Dome, which is where it should be, by the way. Um, just saying. <laughs> um, all right, I think that's enough for Syracuse stuff. Do you have a farewell tour? Do you have anything in the world of sports that you want to talk about? I'll open it up to you. What do you got? Well, we've got the NFL playoffs. The We're basically down to the Elite Eight. I think there's one game tonight, the Rams and the... Cardinals, I think the winner plays Tampa because the Niners won yesterday. Uh, do you have Do you have a pick for the Super Bowl? Like who's who's going? Not necessarily who's going to win. AFC. I have no idea. So tough. Any of those four teams could come out. NFC. I still like the Packers. I know it's a real stretch picking the one seed, but I still like the Packers. Mm. AFC is is just anyone's guess. I think. I think the Niners have a good shot. I think if the Niners can get, if Bosa can play, and if the other one, I forget who else got hurt yesterday on their defensive line, but if they can both play, I think the Niners will give them a good run because they almost beat them. They're doing the regular. I think the thirty to twenty-eight was the final score, and the Jimmy G drove him down the field, took the lead with like thirty seconds left, and Rodgers just ripped up like three passes and they kicked the field goal and won the game. Um, I don't know if I have enough trust in Jimmy G. <laughs> I don't know, but I. Uh, also, for my farewell tour, I want to give a shout-out to Dak Prescott, the MVP, the Nickelodeon valuable player, for his performance in a losing effort. But did he, did he actually get it, though? Because they deleted the, the NFL deleted the tweet. <laughs> NFL deleted it. He did get it. So he did win the award. 81% of the vote. Uh, in a, and that, that was people ripping off those votes when they were down 23-7, which makes yeah. it even more hilarious. I just picked it like... Was, I could just picture like young Dylan, the little kid who was hosting it. I think that's his name. Just going up to Dak right after the the refs are like, "The game is over." No, like, that's it. No spike. And then Nickelodeon running up to him, "Congrats, Dak!" Like throwing some slime over. Him. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what? What so was I, that? I still have yet to see any video of him getting the trophy or interview or anything like that. But he is the. The definitive winner of the MVP award. So, congrats back to back player, back to back players on losing teams. Un- unbelievable. Um, um, and the percentage of people who voted for that who were actually kids has to is be like, like three. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone else is just a college age kid who thought it was hysterical. 
<laughs> like I, I wouldn't be surprised if next year they'll just like give it to the highest vote getter from the winning team. They'll give it to the quarterback like, of the winning team. <laughs> yeah, that's what they'll, they'll do. Just close the voting altogether because they stopped voting at one point. It's it's just all so funny to me. It was that. It was. It's so great. It's a. It's a. Tra- it's a wild card weekend tradition, unlike any other. But um, shout out to uh, Syracuse grad Noah Eagle was in the uh, yeah twenty nineteen class in Newhouse and crushed it. He's incredible. So good job. His, his dad's low key one of my favorite broadcasters, who I think is kind of underrated for some yeah. reason. I like Ian Eagle a lot. Well, a lot of broadcasters that they're polarizing. Like there's people who just like Jim Nance or. Al Michaels, or lots of people who just like Joe Buck, but I ha- I've yet to see anyone who's like, man, I don't like Iron Eagle. Joe Joe Buck's not great when it comes to baseball, just because it's it's slower. And it's kind of, it's just it's a harder sport to call. I like Joe Buck when it comes to baseball. I don't really like Aikman as a as an analyst, um, but I have no problem with Buck for football. Nance and Romo are good. I like Jim Nance a lot. I'm trying to think of who else. Buck is oh, Kevin Kevin, Kevin Harlan is awesome. I yeah. love Kevin Harlan. He, he's so in- the best when when random stuff happens. Like if there's a streaker or like a cat on the field or something, <laughs> and he'll call the game. And like he'll he'll do play by play like the streaker. It's fantastic. Oh, he's he's the best. I love Kevin Harlan. Um, no, Matt Park also very awesome too. By the way, don't want to <laughs> leave our guy out hanging. <laughs> um, but for me, I don't I don't want to pick the Packers to win the NFC, even though I think they're going to. I'll just I'll just say it's gonna be the fucking Chiefs and the Packers again, isn't it? Um, I'll just say Titans Packers just because I want to be different. So, love <laughs> um, But yeah, I think that's all I got. If you don't have anything else, it's all for me. All right. So hopefully it won't be like a month and a half before our next episode. We just did a lot of traveling and a lot of work around the holidays, so it just got kind of. Hard to find a free time. Um, so we'll hopefully be back at some point next week, maybe the week after. We'll see how the games go this week. Uh, leave us a five-star review on iTunes. Follow us on Marshall. Uh, holy shit. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at MarshallSDPod44. Don't forget to subscribe, like, retweet, and share with your friends. And that's Keith. I'm going to go orange.